0: Hey there, and welcome back to The Will and Rob Show. It is great to be with you all. My name is Robert. Here with me, as always, my very good friend, Will Stockdale, a Ministry Associate with Ministry to State. Um, it is a beautiful week. On Thursday, the day that this episode comes out, we will be celebrating Veterans Day. And so uh, in honor of that, we wanted to bring on a very special guest um, to help us walk through some important questions related to Uh, military service, and the gospel, um, and living faithfully uh, in that space. Uh, So we're really excited to welcome to the podcast, Reverend Porter Harlow. Porter is the founding pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Burke, Virginia. Uh, Before that, uh, he served in the military with the Marine Corps. And so, Porter, first of all, thanks for coming on the show. And You're welcome. uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, and if you could, tell us a little bit about your story in terms of, you know, how you started out in the military and then moving into a career in vocational ministry.
1: Sure. Uh, Grew up in Alexandria, here in Northern Virginia, right outside D.C. My dad had been a Marine in uh, Vietnam and then Desert Storm and uh, seemed like the family business. I wanted to be a Marine growing up, wanted to be like my dad, and uh, went to college, went in the Marine Corps. went to law school and was a lawyer in the Marine Corps uh, for a good number of years and and really felt called to do that. I felt like a a righteous cause. Um, And while on the Marine Corps, we were in a church plant in uh, right outside a Marine base in South Carolina. And I was leading a Bible study, teaching Sunday school, uh, became a ruling elder and and preached two times. And I would be at work and I I enjoyed being a Marine. I I love being a Marine. I love being a lawyer, but I would be at work going, man, I need more hours in my day. I need to get home and work on my Sunday school class or I need to work on this. How do I get more hours in my day? And then it dawned on me that there's people called to full-time ministry who get paid to do that for a living. (laughs) So uh, uh, took a job at the Marine Corps, the the Pentagon. Pentagon was the only job in the Marine Corps I could find near a conservative Reformed seminary. So came here to go to Reformed Theological Seminary's DC campus and uh worked at the pentagon with the class and uh finished my degree there and uh as i graduated saw all the churches that had been planted in the last 20 years in the dc area we have 38 uh in our presbytery in the potomac presbytery two of those existed when i was born so we're pretty much a presbytery of church plants and uh really decided to uh my wife and i discern maybe uh we should stay here and plant where the uh, Lord was at work and uh, he's used us to plant Christ Presbyterian Church in work and we're really thankful
2: so uh, well first of all thank you for serving uh, thank you for your work that you did as a marine as as you were serving and as you began to sense a call to ministry what were some things as um, as as a marine that you, thought, I, man, I wish pastors knew this to minister to those men and women in uniform. What were some, some issues faced or some difficulties or trials that you're like, yeah, this, uh, this is something I wish Christians knew and um, a way that Christians can care for those serving in the military.
1: I think that <clears throat> there is confusion on how to reconcile Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, what he says about uh, blessed are the peacemakers, Um, how to, that Christians should turn the other cheek when they're struck, how to, how to reconcile that with other passages uh, like the fact that God has given a sword to the ruler in Romans 13 and said that the ruler is to wield it against wrongdoing and, and um, well, who's going to wield that sword for the ruler? Is our commander in chief going to go wield the sword on the battlefield against uh, aggressor nations that would uh, attack us? Well, no, he needs people to do that for him. So are Christians eligible to do that? I think, I, I, don't, I, I think there's confusion on how do we reconcile passages that the pacifist tradition points to and says, look, the Christian is to be a pacifist. And, and then we have that there's a just war tradition that has reconciled these but we have to revisit it again and again, each generation, or we're going to lose that. Otherwise we're just going to be people who don't look at the Bible and just be realists and say, well, yeah, maybe, but we've got to defend ourselves. Well, <laughs> that may be, That that's not a scriptural, that's not a, a thoughtful Christian's response.
0: Um, so let's kind of dive into that, uh, a little bit. I know there's a, there's a lot of history here and there's a lot of theology to discuss on, on these matters. And so, um, I know sort of growing up that, you know, in a very basic level, there's sort of two different strains, at least within sort of mainstream Christianity, you have both sort of a pacifist tradition. um, and then you have a just war tradition. Could you kind of walk us through the history, at least as you understand it uh, from the early church, you know, coming into that, especially, you know, Augustine's uh, articulation of just war theory, um, and how that might, uh, uh, you know, apply to today or matter for today? Sure. Well, there are a lot of people who will point to the uh, ancient
1: church fathers and say that there was a, that they were all pacifists. And and I would agree there is a pacifist strain. Uh, Tertullian origin in the 100s and 200s are saying that the Sermon on the Mount required Christians not to participate in the military because of these blessed peacemakers, turn the other cheek. Um, and augustine and comes a generation later saying things have changed in the world for one thing you know when augustine, when tertullian and Origen were writing christians had no power in the world they were in a, a, a minority religion there were no foreign policymakers. they were they were not responsible for any foreign policy making or or national defense augustine is writing in a new age i mean you've got christian emperors uh you have know, uh, Augustine trying to say city of God, city of man, how do we live in both? And he says several things. He, he is the father of the just war tradition. Um, he says, you can look at the Bible and see righteous warriors. You have David in the old Testament who, um, was a, a warrior scholar, poet, many things. And then he points to the new Testament. And he sees several examples of the Lord giving his blessing upon soldiers. You see um, the soldiers who come to John the Baptist in, in Luke 3. They come to him. John the Baptist is preaching this message of repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so all these people are coming out to him in the wilderness and, and responding. And you got the crowds coming saying, what shall we do then? How do we repent, in other words? And he says, well, whoever has two turn- tunics, share them with him who has none. And who has, whoever has food, do likewise. Well, then the tax collectors start coming out. And they say, well, what shall we do? And he says, well, collect no more taxes than you're authorized to do. Well, then in verse 14 of Luke 3, the soldiers come out and they say, what shall we do? And what is John the Baptist's response in the Holy Spirit? He says, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content in your wages. That's his response. John the Baptist doesn't say, you must leave serving Rome, that pagan nation, and, and serving military, wielding the sword for the emperor. No, he doesn't say, hey, this guy Jesus is coming, he's gonna preach the Sermon on the Mount. Let me give you a preview. You can't be a soldier. No, he tell he he says, be a righteous soldier, don't abuse your authority, use it righteously. In in the Romans 13 sense, that is that Paul will make clear. This ruler bears the sword to punish wrongdoing, to effect peace, a, a, a just peace, not an unjust peace. So Augustine points to that uh, the soldiers that John the Baptist essentially gives his blessing to. You have the he points to the Roman centurion in Luke seven. The Roman centurion is not not just a soldier; he's in soldiers. He's got a hundred that work for him. So you've got an authority maker, authority person here. And he asks, he sends elders to Jesus saying, "Please heal my servant." And Jesus says. Nowhere in Israel have I found such faith. So Jesus completely blesses this guy. He heals his servant. He commends him as, as having more faith than anyone in Israel, this Gentile soldier. Um, so you see Jesus blessing him. And then in Acts 10, you have Cornelius, the centurion. The Holy Spirit falls upon him as a centurion, as a soldier. Uh, so I think Augustine points to those and he's saying, That essentially, the the way the just war tradition has evolved, especially under Paul Ramsey in the 20th century, he's saying that there is a, that the Sermon on the Mount provides a wonderful, a righteous philosophy of personal conduct. Jesus in, in the Good Samaritan, or in the Sermon on the Mount, is telling his disciples, you should turn the other cheek. But then in the parable of the good Samaritan, he's telling them, but you don't go turn somebody else's cheek. When you see somebody oppressed, you deliver them from oppression. And that the soldier uh, does that.
2: You mentioned Paul Ramsey and his role yeah. in the 20th century. Um, and then you mentioned Augustine. Are there any other thinkers, uh, Christian theologians who have approached this just war theory and um In the Old Testament, you mentioned David being a righteous warrior. Um, And I I know there's also passages in Exodus that describe God as a warrior. And then you have Revelation. Um, I was looking at some of your, you you sent me some of your work that you've done on this. And I was looking over it and I saw you cited Exodus and Revelation. Those passages, though, are referring to God um, being the warrior and so, how do you make the connection from you know God being uh, a righteous warrior and then Christians being able to act and serve in war? Is there um, is there something that has to do with like the connection between God and man as His image that works there? What what are some I think so. What are some principles that you would that you would employ?
1: Well, I, I, I think I think you hit upon it that. God made man in the image of, of God. We carry the Imago Day, So we have to look at, well, what is the Imago Day? And, and like you said, in Exodus 15, Moses, in the Song of Moses, he says, the Lord is a man of war. Uh, and there he, he uh, in that specific context, he crushed the chariots of Pharaoh. He cast them into the sea. Pharaoh's officers were sunk to the depths like a stone. So you have God bringing righteous judgment um upon his enemies who would oppress his people israel Um, and in revelation 19 you see jesus described as riding a white horse in command of the armies the hosts of heaven and i i think you look at joshua i think when the joshua right before the battle of jericho sees um the man the commander of the lord's host standing in front of him with a drawn sword I think that's a, a Christophany, a picture of Christ. So how does that relate to us? Well, if we're made in God's image and is, if the Christian is remade in the image of, is being remade in the image of Christ, we have to say, well, how would Christ have us image him? Well, one, one aspect could be for some of us to, to be that righteous soldier who, deliver, who punishes wrongdoing and, and delivers the oppressed. From tyranny, whether it's tyranny of slavery in Egypt or the tyranny of sin that that oppresses the church, um, or just those who would plunder, plunder our nation uh, in the basic oppression sense. Other thinkers you were asking about, though.
2: Yeah, well, and also, uh, um, yeah, other thinkers. Uh, is Thomas Aquinas? Yeah. Is he someone that you have researched? Yeah. In-
1: he's kind of, he, he develops it after Augustine. He's kind of in the Summa Theologica. He starts to develop a just war tradition in the church um, where he's develops criteria for a just war, asking questions like uh, essentially developing criteria of a, a righteous cause um, done for a right reason, um, decided by a right authority. In other words, we all can't just go out and declare war it has to be by a proper authority um, and then in the reformation the reformation became strong the Martin Luther and John Calvin both developed this Calvin has written a lot on especially Romans 13 um, and the fact that well sure that you could narrowly interpret Romans 13 as as domestic order the ruler wields the sword for domestic order to stop people from burglarizing houses. But Calvin says, well, it doesn't make any sense to say he's just going to stop the local burglar from burglarizing your house. What if another nation comes in to plunder your house? Is the ruler not going to use the sword against them? Of course he is. Um, And the soldier, the Christian may serve as that soldier to defend their neighbor, to defend their family from being attacked by the aggressor nation that would." plunder and enslave their people that we that the Christian does it out of a love of neighbor, uh, a charity that of self-sacrifice the way Christ sacrifices for us.
2: You had mentioned earlier the, um, the, the parable of the good Samaritan. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could draw that out a little bit more and kind of flesh that out, this connection between um, serving in the military uh, and what Christ is conveying and trying to get across in that parable.
1: Yeah. So Paul Ramsey really is the one who in the 20th century took the parable of good Samaritan. Let me back up. Paul Ramsey's kind of the responsible for the revival of the just war tradition in the 1960s and, um, Going back to the past, you had um, a just war tradition in the church, but then you see with the rise of realism with Nietzsche and with Clausewitz in the war sense, you have this realism that, hey, war is just politics by other means. And there's no morality is withdrawn from it. It's just politics. It's just war. We, we have national ends that need to be achieved. And the western world primarily coming out of world world wars one and two um just seeing the the devastation upon civilian populations in a sense non-combatants and how much non-combatants suffered during world war both world wars and during this time of the cold war where you have superpowers aiming nuclear weapons at each other which really bring into question proportionality on you know the devastation that nuclear weapons could have on civilian populations. You have this desire in the church to bring morality (laughs) back into our national decision-making on how nations fight. And so Paul Ramsey is kind of reviving Augustine um, for the church and the Roman Catholic church is doing it at the same time. Um, Paul Ramsey is doing it as a Methodist, as a Protestant, Ramsey was an Edward scholar. He was a Methodist who got his PhD at Yale and was uh, writing from Princeton. And he takes the, he's rooting his arguments not in natural law, but in scripture, the way Calvin had before and others, Augustine had before that. And he goes to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he says, you know, the Good Samaritan, we know the story, he uh, was traveling down the road to Jericho. And he fell among robbers and he was beaten, stripped of his clothes, robbed and left there to die. He's essentially dying on the side of the road and several people pass by. And then the good Samaritan comes, sees him, cares for him, takes him to uh, an inn, uh, gives money to the innkeeper to take care of him and says, hey, if you spend more than that, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you money later. What would the Lord have had the good Samaritan do? Had he come upon the, the robbers attacking him at the time? Would the Lord have had the Good Samaritan tell the robber, turn your other cheek so they can hit you on your other cheek? He says, Of course not. The Lord would have, out of love of neighbor, the, the Lord would probably have had the Good Samaritan intervene and rescue at personal risk, at pers- risk of personal safety. Intervene to rescue the the man being beaten. Um, And then he takes it the next step. Well, wouldn't it also be in keeping with the Lord's teaching to establish police patrols along the road to Jericho to establish public order so that these rob, so that these robberies don't continue to happen? Could a Christian, would the Lord be pleased with somebody who served on that public, that police patrol that goes up and down the roads to deter robbing robbery and the beating of of victims while that also means that should the police to to be in deterrence you have to be willing to use arms and and ramsey says the lord would be pleased for the police the state for christians to serve on the police force and to use the force of arms to stop robberies when we see them happening on that road so um he kind of spins that out and and I think that's right because I, I think that's what we see Christ do. You know, there's uh, James Montgomery Boyce and others have said, Jesus is a good Samaritan in that parable. Jesus came into this world at a great risk of personal safety. He knew, <laughs> he knew his father's will and he knew he would be faithful to it. He left his glory in heaven. Philippians two said, and took on our flesh And he came into this world and, as the gospels tell us, he, he rescued us from the oppression of slavery to sin. And he did that at, at the, the greatest physical risk he, of death. He gave, him, he, deli- he gave himself up to the Romans to kill him on the cross. He suffered God's wrath in his flesh so that we could be rescued from slavery. So in that parable, we are essentially the naked, beaten victim lying on the side of the road, half dead on our way to death. And Jesus delivers us from that, and He would have us be that, be like Him, um, being willing to risk our personal safety for our neighbors, for our loved ones, for those He loves, uh, and and I think that's why many Christians have entered into military service because they want to defend their neighbors, they want to defend their homes and their families, and they want to and and. We do that in wars of just wars of self-defense, defending our neighbors, defending others other neighbors, going to you know and to deliver the oppressed in other places when when the, the reasons are right.
2: Yeah, listening to you and, and hearing what you're saying, it it's good for me to remember that there is a difference between just war theory and just war theory, as in, this isn't just any kind of war, but it's a just, justly caused and justly fought war. Um, And it it sounds like um, the, when you're describing the good Samaritan, that there's a connection between uh, our, our, our servicemen and women and and, uh, law and order and human flourishing and so yeah. that there is there's an intent or a a goal that's being pursued that is flourishing of individuals and communities and eventually in terms of war for an entire nation, so is that something that 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 you're you're getting at in this?
1: yeah, I think when Jesus says, "Blessed are the peacemakers." he's not saying peace at all costs, that if we're about to be attacked, we should have peace by surrendering. No, he's talking about. A just peace, and that's what Augustine was saying that the Lord is talking about a just peace where the church can flourish, human humanity can flourish. Um, and you see that developed the, the just war tradition has two branches, in a sense. The first one is usad ad bellum, and the other one is use in bello. The first one, usad ad bellum, is what are the criteria a Christian law maker, a Christian policy maker. National security official should decide on when going to war.
2: Well, before we go any further, it sounds yeah. like you're not speaking English. You uh, said bellum, what language is that? And what does that mean?
1: It's Latin. You said be- bellum are what are the just ways of going to war? Okay. To war, the just reasons for going to war. You said bellum is how do we act justly once we're in the war? Okay. What are our means and methods? It doesn't care as much. How much did we get into war that those questions have already decided once we're in the war, how do I fight justly? Can I kill everybody combatants and non-combatants and let God sort them out? You know, can I attack the hospital Mm. where the wounded uh, soldiers, wounded uh, former combatants are lying? You know, how do I fight? How would Christ have me fight righteously? So those are the two branches: use ad bellum, going to war; use in bellow. How do I fight righteously within war? Um, the Augustine, Aquinas, and James Turner Johnson in the twentieth century and twenty first century have really developed the use ad bellum tradition of what are the questions we ask before going to war. And there's a lot. There's now I think six six or more criteria, and then more recently. The, the, le- the more neglected one is how do we fight righteously once we're in the war? Discrimination between targeting proportionality of methods um, or, or what it's focused on.
0: And so I think maybe to, to wrap this conversation up, sort of bring it back to, um, you know, pastoral advice or, or sort of advice for those of us in the church. You know, how do we, um, as particularly members uh, of the church who don't serve in the military or don't. Uh, have that experience Uh, but obviously we we share churches and share the share the pews with people who do how do we best care for those veterans and those those loved ones of veterans um, as brothers and sisters in the church
1: that's a great question
0: um and i have
1: two thoughts one is you know we are emerging from 20 years of armed conflict in our nation And, and when you go back to the earlier years of those 20, I think that the church was certainly called to pray, uh, for those service members that were going overseas, um, and to care for their families while they were gone. And I think you see a lot of good examples of that in our church plant in South Carolina. We had several squadrons leave at the beginning of, of, um, the wars in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq and, and. We were praying for them, and we were caring for their families, and uh, and doing the work of the church, loving our brothers and sisters, and praying for their protection. Um, now, twenty years down the road, and coming out of it, we have a lot more veterans than we had at the beginning. So, how do we, how do we, as a church minister to them, it's complex because I think I've been in those churches where during the church service they will ask veterans to stand up and uh say what branch of the service they served in and the church will clap for them i've also been in those churches that don't have a flag in them don't recognize veterans not because they don't love their veterans just because they don't feel like it's a part of the worship service um and there's that so we have a broad spectrum within the church of just the way we we love veterans um and you also have veterans that do want to be recognized and you have those that absolutely don't want to be recognized. And we have those who are struggling with just having been a, a veteran and, and what they did. So um, trying to seek grace. So I think we should be thoughtful. I think we should be careful and just uh, operate out of love and, and putting other people first and not assuming that they want to be thanked and recognized. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be, but, uh, just being thoughtful and, and careful and doing it out of love and not out of, Hey, look at me. I'm very patriotic and I want to recognize all the veterans I can. And because um, sometimes we, we can, as Christians try and show love, but it, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Porter, thank you so much. I think this has been just an awesome episode and I think a really relevant one for the week as people think about, Uh, Veterans Day and and those questions that just kind of keep coming up about, you know, uh, the gospel and military service. Um, uh, And as always, we thank uh, you, dear listener, for listening to the podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at RD Hassler. Will is at Stockdale. Will Porter, you're on Twitter. How can people follow you on Twitter? At Porter Harlow um, on Twitter. Okay. I I like to point this out because um, people like, roast twitter for being this really horrible and toxic environment which in many cases that's true but mm-hmm. Porter and i were actually introduced via twitter and became real life friends and so good can there's some
1: great it. conversations the church is <laughs> having some great helpful conversations on twitter amongst go. many unhelpful <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly conversations. Um, and uh, as always make sure to check out ministrytostate.org and with that we'll see you guys again next week